Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing with our Top 10 Prospects podcast series, and we are joined today by Bill Mitchell to break down the White Sox system. Bill, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, The White Sox have the number 30 farm system in baseball. Uh, They did not have anyone in the BA Top 100 prospects this year and didn't really have anyone particularly close at the same time, uh, it's not really a problem. I think it, before we start diving into these prospects, we have to address the fact that the reason the White Sox, their farm system, is as thin as it is, is because they did everything right. The White Sox had a top 10 farm system for four consecutive years. And out of those farm systems, they graduated. Luis Robert, Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, Juan Moncada, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, Garrett Crochet, Gavin Sheets was productive last year, and Nick Madrigal, who's since been traded. And as a result, they've made the postseason back-to-back years for the first time in franchise history, which is kind of remarkable considering the White Sox have been around since 1901. So on the one hand, as you put together this list, I think we can all acknowledge it was pretty thin, but doing so with the knowledge of it's that way because they've done everything so well, how did you kind of go about this process? Well, thank you, Kyle. Um, Yeah, as you said, it's a down system now, but for the right reasons. But there are some intriguing talents in uh, the system. Not a lot of depth when you get into the 20s on their list. There's a lot of potential relief pitchers, utility players, and that's always a sign of a, an organization that's not real deep. Is You need to fill in with these other guys uh, that wouldn't be on someone else's top 30. But if you focus on the top 10 there, uh, and even the top 20, there's some intriguing talent there that uh, – you know, if you get a, a few big leaguers out of it, uh, then your system is, is successful. Yeah, and again, I think it's important to note they don't need a whole bunch of guys from this system to become big leaguers. They have all those guys we've mentioned. They have some money to spend. They've brought in some good players and trades. We saw them go out and get Lance Lynn before last season. That was a huge success. Uh, so really, this is a team that in a lot of ways is ready to compete for a World Series right now, then you layer in some of these guys who could maybe help out further down the line. It does feel like as we get into this organization, even though the farm system isn't great right now, as an organization top to bottom, the White Sox are in a really good place. And when you look at, and everybody was affected by not having a minor league season in 2020, uh, but I think they're in ways it hurt the White Sox in that they have a couple Cuban prospects who uh, hadn't played ball at all for basically two years be from the time they uh, came to the U.S. and had to wait and wait to get signed and then miss the season altogether. Uh, they also had some high school pitchers that they had drafted in the last few years, being Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, and Matthew Thompson, who I believe were really hurt by not having a minor league season in 2020 and then not having the short season level had to jump 
right into low A ball with what turned out to be uh, one of the worst teams in the minor leagues last year in, at Canopolis. Yeah, the Canapolis team was certainly uh, memorable for all the wrong reasons. But again, if you have a playoff contender in the major leagues, you'll take that trade for a bad low A team any day. Bill, as, we, di- <laughs> Bill, as we dive into this farm system, you ultimately went with Colson Montgomery, the White Sox first round pick last year as their number one prospect. A Midwest kid was taken 22nd overall out of a high school in Indiana. A really, really athletic background as a three-sport athlete in high school had some division one basketball offers or at least drew some interest from division one basketball programs i should say ultimately as you kind of stacked up this farm system with montgomery and maybe some of their high profile cuban signings what elevated this kid to number one in this farm system well it was a pretty easy decision i he plays a premium position, shortstop. Uh, there's a good chance he'll be able to stay that uh, right. Stay there right now. There's nobody that thinks he'll have to move off shortstop, even though he's already pretty big. He's six foot four, uh, two hundred five pounds. And if the body goes the wrong way, yeah, then he's not a shortstop. But right now, uh, even getting some Corey Seager comps as far as the body at shortstop. I'm not saying he's going to be the kind of hitter that that Corey Seager has turned out to be, but uh, that. He's got the smooth actions. He moves well for his size. He, uh, he, he's got the it factor at shortstop. Uh, I remember his manager uh, in Arizona League uh, telling me that you know, this kid is going to always play above his tools. Uh, and the important thing to remember, too, like you said, he was a three-sport athlete. He hasn't focused on baseball completely in his whole life, but now he will. And it'll be interesting to see how he does this year with a full year behind him of just playing baseball, no basketball, no football, no curling or whatever else he might have been wanting to play, but just playing uh, baseball. Yeah, one of the things with Montgomery that stood out, just kind of reading your report, and you also saw him in person in the Arizona Complex League, is you see the physicality, and there's really just a well-rounded set of tools that you talk about for a guy who's a three-sport athlete and hasn't really devoted himself to baseball fully before. You saw contact skills. You saw really good plate discipline, 13 walks against only 22 strikeouts, hit for average, got on base, and while he didn't hit any home runs and his slugging percentage on the surface wasn't great, there were a lot of hard line drives, posted some max exit velocities well into the 105, 106-mile-an-hour range. Uh, it just seems like there's a lot more room for growth, and this kid's already pretty good to start with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's a really nice swing. Just uh, a nice – that was the first thing I noticed. I had never seen him in high school showcases because of, one, he didn't do all the big showcases because of playing other sports, but then also the pandemic year, I didn't get to all the big showcases. So um, when he showed up in rookie ball, that was the first I laid eyes on him. But first thing I thought – Oh, that is a nice swing. You know, he's got long levers, uh, has a good batting eye. Uh, he will hit, and that power will develop. Uh, I haven't had anybody say they don't think. Uh, it's going to be at least above average power. One thing that is notable is he was pretty old for the draft. Uh, he's already going to be 20 years old here uh, in the next couple of days. Um, was there any concern about that, you know, just how much older he was compared to his competition, both in high school and really even in the ACL? No, not really. Uh, he, uh, and again, the fact that he maybe is a little behind other players because of having played other sports, that uh, the age just didn't factor into it at all. 
You mentioned he was kind of your, your clear-cut number one prospect in the system. Right behind him were two very, very high-profile Cuban signees. Obviously, the White Sox have a tremendous history with Cuban ball players dating back to Minnie Minoso. Yoki Cespedes is famous as Ioannis Cespedes' half-brother, and he played for Cuba in the World Baseball Classic a few years ago. And Norhe Vera also has some baseball bloodlines. He's much less famous than uh, Yoki Cespedes, just by virtue of who Cespedes' brother is. Um, but these two Cubans are, are very, very talented players, got big bonuses, and a lot of people expect a lot of things from them. What were the initial reviews? Because both of them, as you mentioned, didn't really get a chance to play much. They made their pro debuts last year, or at least I should say their pro debuts uh, with uh, United States-based teams. Uh, what did people see, and what's the overall outlook for these two players? There's a lot of debate as to what is Cespedes' final, you know, what's, what's his actual projection. And I think we've got him ranked higher than other sources. Not that we need to compare it all the time, but uh, I spoke to Josh Norris about it because Josh had done the midseason preview. And I says, you know, I'm not sure. Do we want to keep Cespedes at number two? And Josh felt we should because, uh, you know, one, he was playing for the first time in two years and a lot of rust. Uh, and also the uh, we've seen with the White Sox, they have a good track record of developing Cuban players uh, and they have a good support system for them. So at this point, we decided to keep Cespedes number two. Uh, what he turns into, I think we'll have a better look after he uh, goes back to double A this year, probably gets to triple A. I just saw a tweet out there today that he says he's going to get to the big leagues and, and stay this year. We'll have to see if that happens. But um, I like the confidence at least. Uh, so, you know, I think this, this will be a big year to really tell us who is Yoelki Cespedes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You look at the performance considering, A, we see very, very often it takes a lot of Cuban players a year or two to adjust. I mean, it's just such a huge adjustment, both the level of play, but also culturally, uh, it's not uncommon for a lot of these kids to struggle. And he actually went up and hit pretty well this year, uh, getting up to double A. He's a very, very aggressive hitter. And you see that in the strikeout to walk numbers, but still hit for average, got on base, showed you some power. I think a lot of times we expect some of these guys to be stars right away. Even Luis Robert, he really struggled with injuries and rust his first season stateside. I do feel like there's reason to be optimistic just based on the initial performance. Right, absolutely. Norhe Vera stayed back in the uh, DSL. He did not get stateside, but it was his first official games as, a, as an affiliated professional. He was older, uh, much more so than a lot of the competition he was facing, so it wasn't quite the best look, wasn't quite a fair fight. That said, uh, the stuff is real, and, and he comes from a, a pretty solid pedigree. What made him the top pitching prospect in this system? I moved him up a little higher as I did research. And again, not many people have seen him. Uh, I reached out to both the international staff, the pitching, you know, the stateside pitching coordinator who hadn't even seen him that much either, but uh, had some you know, information and, and there was plenty of video of, of him too. Uh, and then I reached out to a scout in the Dominican who uh, with another organization who had scouted, scouted him just to get a little more background. And it's the size, you know, he's 6'4", uh, listed at 185, but I believe he's over 200. Uh, already was touching 100 down in the Dominican. And with a, you know, he's going to get strong, uh, stronger. And, you know, you wonder how much more velocity he's going to add, but uh, it's certainly, uh, it's intriguing to think about. 
Uh, the fact that uh, he projects to have an above average slider and change up. Uh, the delivery is very nice. I did see a video of him uh, that uh, was sent to me by the White Sox staff and uh, I shared it with some people. If you haven't seen it, Kyle, I can send it to you after we're done here. But uh, uh, it just, I, I looked at the, at the frame, uh, what he's already, what he's already got in his repertoire, the velocity, and, and I, I just thought this guy needs to be their top pitching prospect. Is it fair to say this was the clear-cut top three prospects in this system in this order? I believe so. I think I started out maybe West Cath above Vera, and then I, for the reasons I just uh, identified, I, I swapped those two. But, yeah, well, the, those four definitely are the top four. and You, know, you can juggle them any way you wanted, but, uh, or you know, juggle them a little bit, but uh, I, I think it's good where we have them. With that, the number five prospect in this system was really one of the bigger breakouts in the minor leagues last year. We saw a lot of players emerge from relative obscurity after a year away, come back bigger, stronger, faster. And that's Jose Rodriguez. Again, this was someone who had not played above rookie ball entering this uh, past season and performed well in the complex leagues, but you never want to go too crazy over that. Uh, but he went up this year, moved up three levels, hit for average, got on base, hit for power, uh, had a 30 stolen base season. And look, the reviews were solid. The performance was really good. He finished tied for eighth in the minor leagues and hits. He's 20 years old and he got to double A. What do the White Sox have here? It's interesting. This was the first year I was doing the White Sox system. So my first call to someone uh, in their front office in their minor league development, uh, that was one of the first things, pieces of information I got. Jose Rodriguez needs to be higher. Uh, they were really high on him. And I think even back to when uh, he was in the Arizona League and I was working on my Arizona League uh, top prospect list in 2019, there were scouts that really liked him. Uh, and he was only 17 then. Uh, so uh, I already you know, knew and had some background, but uh, uh, his tools are average or better across the, the board. Um, guy has good instincts, good makeup. Uh, while he takes a big swing, he has the ability to make adjustments and shorten his swing with two strikes. Uh, he may become a plus defender at shortstop. Once again, that's, that's valuable. And uh, just – Maybe he's a utility infielder, uh, capable of moving around the field, uh, but uh, they've, they've got a good ball player there. Yeah, he's a very, very aggressive hitter. You mentioned takes big swings, certainly doesn't get cheated, but it does have a little bit of feel to cut down with two strikes. And I think we saw a guy who, again, he's able to adjust the situation and adjust the level of competition he's at at a young age. And uh, just a really well-rounded player. Again, you talk about contact, speed, defense. There's a little bit of power there. Hit 14 homers last year, 27 doubles. So uh, anytime you're talking about a, a farm system, you know, taking a guy who is not really on the radar and always a top five prospect, even if it is a weak system, it's certainly the kind of progress you want to see. All right, Bill. So this was the top five in the system. After them, there's an intriguing group of pitchers who were pretty high profile, but had very, very difficult first full seasons in pro ball. We're going to hit on them. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back with Bill Mitchell breaking down the White Sox system. Bill, top five players in this system, as you mentioned, were fairly clear-cut, at least the top four, and, and Jose Rodriguez put himself into that top group with his really, I mean, fantastic season. You could argue it was probably the best season in the White Sox system. Falling out of the top five were three pitchers who have all been in there at various points, uh, three high school pitchers the White Sox were really, really counting on. And Jared Kelly, their second round pick in 2020, who a lot of people considered arguably the best high school pitcher in that year's draft class. Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson, who were also two very, very highly regarded prep pitchers. But we talked earlier about how low A Canapolis, their affiliate, was one of the worst teams in the minor leagues and a historically bad team in some ways. And a lot of that was these three pitchers all struggled really, really, really badly. Uh, the performances were not great. The scouting reports were not great. Where do these three pitchers stand right now in terms of their long-term outlooks? Well, first we'll talk about Andrew Dahlquist, who we ranked number six uh, on their top 10. Uh, he had the best season of the three young pitchers, uh, which again, isn't saying that much. Uh, his biggest issue was walking way too many batters. And that's uh, what he's uh, got to improve on. Uh, he's got four pitches. They all grade out as average or above average. And uh, actually the slider projects to be a plus pitch. Uh, the big thing that I found in talking to scouts who saw Dahlquist. Uh, he's very slender, has a very slender frame. And the question has come up is, will he be able to add enough strength to that frame to stay as a starter, to be able to pitch enough innings to, you know, to, uh, to have the durability to, be, to start, or does he become a, a reliever? That was the big thing with Dahlquist that I got. Yeah, you mentioned smaller guys listed 6'1", 175. And I remember seeing him at Redondo Union High School. It was a bigger arm on a littler guy. But uh, you kind of mentioned it. One of the things that kind of came up is, you know, the strength gains have to come in order for him to help his delivery. He walked more than six per nine. And it's not like he did that while striking out 12 per nine. He, even with his loud stuff, uh, was striking out less than a batter per inning, allowed more than a hit per inning. So um, certainly more hittable than you'd want and not missing as many bats as you'd want and walking more guys than you want. And, and he's the best of these three just because the stuff is so good. Um, that kind of tells you where the other guys are. Uh, with Jared Kelly, 
there, there's no easy way to say it. This was a disastrous season. Um, we do see sometimes the guy who's, you know, the biggest, baddest dude on the high school circuit that's you know, the most physically developed and has the biggest stuff, a lot of times really struggles to throw strikes and actually pitch when he gets into pro ball because he hasn't really had to do that before. Um, and that was a lot of what happened to Kelly. He had an ERA over seven. Again, gave it more in a hit per inning, walked nearly as many batters, just did not throw anywhere near as many strikes as he needed to. Again, I know I got some reports this year. Um, just to be kind of frank about it, none of them were very good. What were you hearing and seeing about Jared Kelly, and, and where does he go from here? Well, he didn't. He only pitched 23 and two-thirds innings. He had some shoulder fatigue, some forearm tightness. He came down to Arizona for a while uh, to do some rehab, and I did see one of his outings, which I think lasted one inning plus. Uh, he kind of has the opposite situation, a Dahlquist. He has too much body. Uh, and that is what the White Sox have identified that he needs to do. And what they were going to have him doing in the offseason was work on his conditioning. Uh, they feel that has affected his command and control. Uh, and if you've ever seen Jared Kelly, even going back to high school, he's a big kid. But uh, that body needs to be firmer and we'll see in spring training if he's gotten there. Um, there is debate among uh, observers whether he's better suited to be a back of the bullpen reliever um, that he could go in there with that 70 fastball and potential plus slider and just uh, be a, a force in the back of the bullpen the White Sox believe he can still be a, uh, a starter uh, with uh, close to top of the rotation stuff so uh, this is just and this is getting repetitive this is going to be a big year for Jared Kelly too like a lot of players one of the things I wonder is he went down, had a forearm injury, uh, no concern with the UCL or the elbow, which is obviously good. And I do wonder how much that affected him. Uh, he was throwing very, very hard. You'd still see him up to 98, 99, but uh, the fastball was just not really anywhere near the zone a lot of times. Um, you know, the breaking balls were, were really inconsistent and didn't show a lot of the feel that he had shown previously. So I, I do wonder how much maybe he just wasn't feeling 100% physically you know, if that comes back, do the White Sox have faith that he can get back to being maybe that that true front to mid rotation starter type? Yes, I believe that. Uh, and that's why, you know, like I said, they were going to have him working on his conditioning all off season. And uh, when I can get into their complex in another week or so and uh, get to some of their minor league workouts, I'll let you know how he's looking now. Yeah, again, there's a lot of stuff there, and seeing if he can control that will be big. And then lastly, Matthew Thompson, who uh, was the last of these three, stole in the top 10. Um, again, another pitcher who had a very, very difficult season at Kannapolis. Uh, what were the reviews there, and, and what's his outlook? I like to say that because of the situation they were in, missing the year, not having a lot of experience, that uh, give a mulligan to all three of these guys for what they did last season. But I, especially, I think that especially applies to Matthew Thompson. Uh, he did have some injury issues. He also came back to Arizona for a while uh, and did some rehab. Uh, he had a hip flexor strain. Uh, there's concern with scouts that he just doesn't throw enough strikes, even though he's got a fastball-heavy repertoire he still doesn't throw enough strikes with his best pitch. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's the big thing with him is, um, you know, besides staying healthy, uh, 
getting uh, developing his other pitches uh, so that he doesn't have to go to the fastball much and then just commanding everything better. Yeah. And again, as we talk about this, obviously this is slightly disheartening. Uh, the reviews on all three that I got from opposing scouts during the year were you're hoping all these guys turn into relievers just between their strike throwing ability and how inconsistent it is. It's really hard to see it clicking for them as starters. And again, that sounds disheartening when we're talking about guys who, you know, certainly um, would not be top 10 in a lot of other systems, but I'm just going to repeat this. Keep the context in mind of the White Sox system is in this shape because they successfully graduated so many guys to the majors on our playoff team because of it. So, you know, I would say to, you know, those invested in the White Sox, don't worry about it. You know, it's fine. We'll see if these guys click. But even if they don't, the White Sox outlook is still pretty bright. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. Bill, even in farm systems that are you know, bottom of our organization talent rankings, there are always guys who surprise you, you know, guys who maybe are 15, 16, 17, or even 22, 23, 24, and they show up in the majors and carve out a role for themselves. Who are some of the guys outside this top 10 that intrigue you a little bit and maybe have a chance to surprise some people? Well, the player that uh, the White Sox are really high on, and I ranked him number 11 in the system, is uh, Brian Ramos, uh, another Cuban infielder. Uh, Played the whole season at 19. Let's make sure my math is right <laughs> this time. Yes, um, he will not turn 20 until sometime next month. Uh, so I hadn't seen him in two years. Um, you know, through the pandemic, uh, I you know, didn't get to see White Sox uh, system much at all. And But I saw him a lot in 2019 and rookie ball. uh, I was really surprised when I saw him in instructional league this last fall, uh, how much better the body looked. He was always a big bulky kid. It wasn't like he was overweight or anything, but there's more athleticism in the body now. And he he is very athletic. Uh, He got firmer and the body got better balanced. Um, He's got good bat speed, uh, a good strong swing. Um, he could be a breakout candidate this year, primarily a third baseman. They also had him playing some at second base and first base, and he did okay there. So that's um, uh, he's an interesting one to watch out for. And again, we're talking about a, a Cuban hitter that uh, they've had pretty good success in developing these guys. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit of that power-speed combo, 13 homers, 13 stolen bases, a lot of doubles, and certainly some good things. Uh, one of the things that has come up is – in some ways, he's a little bit of a similar boat as Jose Rodriguez, although obviously not as successful, but just, you know, has tools, things to like, just very, very, very aggressive approach. And you have to see how that plays at higher levels. Rodriguez was able to make it work for him up to high A. We'll see what he's able to do at double A. And Ramos got a shot at high A. Realistically, Bill, once we talk about these guys here in this, you know, 6 to 11 range, do any of them profile it as players who will be regulars for the White Sox, whether it's a regular starter or a regular everyday player, or are we talking about more complimentary pieces? Like what is, for example, Brian Ramos's likely outcome if it clicks? I think Ramos could be a starter. Uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, there's still a lot of development ahead. Like I said, he hasn't turned 20 yet. So uh, uh, there's, he's got a lot, uh, a lot of time, but uh, I think you have a major league regular there with him. Yeah, it's a deep projection that keeps coming up that the tools are there and there are things to like, so we'll see how he's able to continue to develop. Anyone else in the system that we should be keeping an eye on maybe a little bit further down? 
you know, if we want to talk about somebody who is uh, um, a little bit, a bit older, uh, a very intriguing player is Romy Gonzalez. Uh, he was out of the University of Miami, drafted in 2018. Uh, no, he probably will not be a major league regular. He actually got a big league time this year. Uh, but he has potential to be a super utility guy. Uh, I think he was uh, he started playing shortstop again. I think he had some shortstop experience before, perhaps in his college day. But he can play outfield. He can play every infield position. Uh, he's a smart ball player. The um, the player I've heard him compared to is the Diamondbacks' Josh Rojas, who was a very late pick by Houston. Uh, Diamondbacks got him in the Zach Greinke trade, and he was a significant contributor in the big leagues this past year. Uh, just you know, somebody who plays above their tools, plays a lot of positions. He is what he is, but I think that's what the White Sox could have with Romy Gonzalez. All right, Bill. Any final thoughts as we wrap up here again? I, I know that People listening to this, especially if they're White Sox fans or invested in the White Sox, it might have sounded a little bit depressing, but again, it's fine. This has been a wild success in terms of a player development system and getting top talent to the majors, and now it's just time to backfill it. Keep in mind, uh, again, five years ago, I started covering the Royals and Mariners systems. They were 29 and 30 at the time. And then we, we shuffled things around every so often. So instead of the Mariners, I wound up with the White Sox. So I had another top 30 organization. Um, so it can happen in a four or five or even three year span that, that an organization can uh, uh, improve their system significantly. So that's my advice to White Sox fans. Don't give up hope yet. <laughs> And again, there's no reason to give up hope. Just watch what's happening in the major leagues and, you know, what happens below in the minors. Just let it take its course. Uh, just enjoy what's in the majors because this is what they've been building for and, and what they have now. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you for having me, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Bill Mitchell, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.